here this evening. I'd love to get a sense for the room. So I know there's at least one entrepreneur who is on to probably a second, if not more, um, startups and, and may potentially be fundraising soon. Who else is fundraising? Who else has an idea? All right. Who else wants to create a company and go raise some money? Okay. Who else is here for the pizza? Okay, not everyone, so. <laughs> um, well, I'm impressed that you're all here. Uh, I'm gonna try to make the due diligence lecture as interesting and engaging um, as it can be. It's a pretty dry subject, but what I'm gonna do is try and take you through the process that you will go through with investors, be them friends and family, be it angel investors. Does everyone know what an angel investor is? Um, an angel investor is someone who's investing their own personal money or an institutional investor traditionally known as a, a VC, a venture capitalist. Um, please, uh, if you have any questions, let's try and save them for the analysts. It's really, really relevant. It's, it's kind of, everyone's kind of spread out, so it makes it a little bit tougher to kind of deal with that. Um, but um, I'll take you through the whole process. So, so a little bit about me. So um, I think I have one of the best jobs in the world. I've been an investor for the past 15 years. Um, I'm currently with a fund called the Mars Investment Accelerator Fund. We're a seed stage fund. We invest in early stage companies based in Ontario. Um, a seed stage investor is effectively an investor who um, invests between friends and family and Series A. And what that means is a friends and family round can be anywhere from $10,000 to a million dollars. Um, the stage we invest at is typically from $250,000 to two to $3 million. Series A is typically from two to $3 million to something a little bit bigger. It very much depends on the type of company you're building. So if you're building a biotech therapeutic company, you're going to need to raise a lot more money early on versus a pretty capital efficient um, IT company. So again, seed stage investor, we invest in clean tech, information and technology, companies and in healthcare companies based in Ontario, seed stage investor, we invest up to half a million dollars maximum, but we invest with investors and around can come up to be about $2 million. Some companies that are uh, notable that are at Ryerson or have been affiliated with Ryerson that you may know um, that I personally invested in, our, our, our fund has invested in more than 120 companies at this stage. Um, Nudge Rewards is doing extremely well, it was known as Green Gage. They were at the DMZ for a long time, so you may see some of their pictures still there. Lindsay, uh, Lindsay Goodchild and Desky, Desi Deskalov, two female founders who, uh, who are changing the world. They're doing extremely well now. We invested about two to three years ago, um, invested half a million along with some angel investors, so total round was about a million dollars. And now they're doing um, some great business with big uh, enterprises such as Rogers, a whole bunch of food chains out in uh, England and New Zealand, some great investors. Figure one, if people know who that company is, it's Instagram for doctors. Um, we invested two years ago and follow on investors uh, were folks like Union Square Ventures. And if anyone follows the venture capital industry, they are the folks who invested in Twitter and Etsy and Zynga and a whole bunch of uh, amazing companies that came out of uh, the past, uh, past 10 years out of the US. Uh, another company that was at the DMZ for a long time, Sampler, so digital sampling platform, uh, CRM for sampling. Whole bunch of other companies as well that came out of the DMZ that we've invested in, along with a number of companies in Waterloo, in Ottawa, and, and other companies in Toronto. So as I say, I have the best job in the world because I get to learn every day. 
I'm looking at different industries. Um, I am looking at different teams. Uh, and I'm looking at different technologies. And so I'm always trying to figure out what the next big thing is. I'm also always trying to figure out if a team has it and if they're the team that's gonna make a go of a given idea. Um, we always say, especially at the early stage, that an A team with a B technology will be out, beat out every day a B team with an A technology, hands down. So just because you have the best mousetrap, if you don't have the best team around you to execute, um, you may lose the foot race. Um, and that's particularly important at the early stage, and I'll, I'll go through and talk about this more in diligence, but it's really, really important at the early stage because effectively you probably don't even have a product at that stage. So you have to make sure that you have a really great idea and a really great team that can execute on that product. I also lecture um, at Ryerson. I teach um, Entrepreneurship um, 601, one of Sean Wise's courses, um, if some of you have taken that course before. So. All right, so what is due diligence? Um, and I thought I'd go get a quote. Did, did anyone know what due diligence was before they came into the room? Any idea? You would. Uh, painful? What would you describe it as? Painful and long? Yeah. <laughs> and a lot. And, and surprising, I'm sure, at every, at every turn. So. so due diligence is a term that's used in investing. Uh, it's, it's an investigation or an audit audit being used in a pretty high level term of a potential investment. Due diligence serves to confirm all the material and facts in, in regards to a sale. And when we say sale here is if you're out there fundraising, you're actually going to sell some of your company to your investors in exchange for an investment amount. Generally, due diligence refers to the care a reasonable person should take before entering into an agreement or a transaction with another party. So that's what the definition of due diligence is. What I'm gonna do through this session is take you through three stages of due diligence. Um, and we can, we can chat about them as we go along. So, um, so again, due diligence, a process, an investor, an angel, a VC, a corporate, a strategic, even your friends and family, even if your parents lend you money, um, they should ask you some of these questions uh, just to uh, evaluate a potential opportunity. The goals for the investor. We, um, most investors, um, in a fund will only make two to three investments a year. Maybe in a total fund, they'll make eight to 10. We're a bit more of an active investor. Having said that, we see more than three to 400 companies a year. And so the average rule of thumb is for every 100 companies an investor sees, they will enter into due diligence into 10 companies to make one investment. So you have to kiss a lot of frogs before you actually go ahead and write a check. Um, so for the goals for the investor is to select the winners, um, identify the key risk because it's really early stage and there's a lot of things that can go wrong, but we're venture investors and we realize that what we try to do is mitigate the risk. So we have to try and identify them early on um, and develop a plan post-investment to build a company and to mitigate some of those risks. What it means for you is money. What it also means for you is, is this the right partner for you? So, you know, if, you're in, if you have the opportunity to build a company with people who are the right money for you, I encourage you to do it. The worst thing you can do, there's, there's something called OP, OPM, other people's money. So when you take other people's money, you're gonna have to potentially start living by different rules, right? It's no longer your company. You've sold a portion of your company. What you wanna make sure when you do that though, is that you're partnering with the right person. 
to build your company. And so when you go through due diligence process, don't think of it as a one-way thing. Think of it as a two-way thing. Make sure that you're finding someone that, that understands your business, that can bring value to your business, and that you're gonna be aligned with. Because it is hard, it's harder than marriage. There's gonna be amazing times, and there's gonna be really, really tough times. And I'd like to, to hear from some, some of the founders in the room a little later. And so you wanna know that you have the partners um, that can go through those ups and downs with you pretty, pretty consistently and pretty fairly. So um, I describe the due diligence process in three stages. The first is screening due diligence. The second is business due diligence. And the last is uh, legal due diligence. So screening due diligence. What you have to do when you first approach an investor, and I can't say enough about having a referral into an investor. Just applying to um, an investor's website, I mean, you'll see less and less investors even have a, an apply here kind of button. We have one because we're a provincially funded program, so we have to. But I would bet that most investors don't even have a place for you to send your business plan anymore. Really, really highly encourage you to um, get a referral into an investor. But what you need to do first is make sure that you've selected the investor that's the right for your stage and for the type of company you're building. So I mean, stating the obvious, but if your company is a therapeutic company, don't go apply to a fund who only does um, technology investments. And everyone's very clear on their website what their actual investment thesis is. So always make sure that you find an investor who invests in your sector, at your stage of investment, and in your geography. Because the first meeting that you're going to have, or the first screen you're going to have, is some junior's going to go through your meeting, uh, through your application, and say, uh, this doesn't even fit our criteria, we'll send them a nice letter, and off they go. If you get a referral into uh, an investor, they're going to help you through that conversation. And often, um, even if it's an edge case, I will take a meeting with someone because um, they were actually referred in. So investors review and evaluate hundreds of business opportunities and only invest in one. There's select criteria, again, always, always, always published on a website. It's a little bit tougher when it's, a, um, when it's an angel investor, but many angel investors will put their profile. Does everyone know what AngelList is? Is everyone familiar with that? So look at AngelList too. If they're an accredited investor, they're, they're not necessarily investing, uh, they're, they're US investors. You can't, you can't be on AngelList necessarily if you're Canadian but many people still post their profile so that people get a sense for what they're looking for. Um, look there to see what kind of deals they like. Those tools help you highlight and, and hone in on the right investment group for you. Because again, fundraising is a really, really long process. And so you wanna make sure that although you go pretty wide, you don't spend all your time meeting with people who may not be appropriate for you. Um, the other thing too, make sure that an investor isn't, um, uh, an investor in a competitive company. Does anyone watch Silicon Valley here, the show? Do you remember the scene last year when all the guys were scribbling on the board from the VC, all the technology and the geeks were really happy because they were the only people listening to them? Well, they were an investor in a competitive company and they were stealing their technology. Now that, that was an extreme case, but be wise and aware that sometimes people may just take meetings to learn a bit more about your company because they either have an interest in another company or, or um, might be thinking about something else. Always be careful what you share in the early days. Make sure you don't sell, share super hyper confidential information in the early days. Um, so again, you wanna make sure that the opportunity fits the investors or the fund's mandate. 
um, and some may only um, be reviewed if they come from a referred source. And LinkedIn is such a powerful tool now, right? You can, I do this now for my portfolio companies that are going out and raising that next round of financing. So I'll identify who I think the right investors are, I'll scour LinkedIn and I'll try to find some links that way to make that referral. Use LinkedIn to, to your advantage. So again, if you think once you get through the screening, um, there'll be a first meeting with the angel investor, or with, the, uh, with the VC. The goal is to understand as much about the business and about the team as possible. Um, so again, questions that you may get, and I actually have some links um, to some questions that, um, that are frequently asked and that you should be really, really prepared for. Um, so how do the founders know each other? I love to ask that question because you really see if it's a team that's worked together for a long time, if they've worked through some of the, the craziness and the dynamics that can help in founding teams. Um, you know, how do their roles, um, who plays what role, is one more technical, one more business? How do they interact with each other? Are they passionate? This to me is one of the most important criteria at the really, really early stage. And so, you know, over the past few years, you know, entrepreneurship's become pretty, pretty sexy and a pretty interesting thing to do. And everyone seems to come up with any kind of idea to sort of decide if they're going to take it and run with it. If you're not absolutely passionate about the problem you are solving, um, it's going to be a really long road ahead of you. And so investors really look for folks who are really knowledgeable about the problem they're solving and hyper, hyper passionate about it because that's gonna get you through the highs and lows. I, I speak to, to um, any number of, uh, any number of uh, entrepreneurs that I deal with, and that's what gets them through the really tough days, is that they love what they're doing and they're passionate about the problem they're solving, they're passionate about the customers they're working with, and they're passionate about the technology they're developing. Um, how qualified are they? And, and that's relevant uh, for a number of reasons. You know, we wanna see if the team has the wherewithal to do what they say they're gonna do. Um, sometimes the, uh, the wherewithal may not be um, only with the founding team. If you feel that you may have some gaps on those areas, consider bringing advisors around you that could be the right people. And, and we really look to both those social signals of folks who've agreed to kind of be part of your team because often they're being part of your team for free. So someone who's pretty qualified and pretty knowledgeable in the area said, okay, yeah, I'm willing to give a bit of my time to this that's always a really good social signal that uh, there's something there or that the team is someone that's really worth taking a second look at. Um, what would it be like to work with them? Again, if you have an investor, they're going to spend a lot of time with you. You're probably going to chat minimum one time a week. You're going to have quarterly board meetings. You're going to have to update people. You're going to have the kind of relationship where you hope you can pick up the phone and tell them both good and bad news and not worry about it, right? You never, never, ever want to surprise an investor. So, you know, we look for this sort of dynamic when we build a relationship early on. I'll give you a link to another article, um, um, and it's a blog post. It's a pretty, uh, pretty fundamental blog post for the VC industry. It's written by a gentleman called Mark Suster, and it's called I Invest in Lines, Not Dots. And so, you know, the point of that is I meet several times with an investor to decide, you know, do I see the lines that I want to see? I don't invest in point meetings, right? Um, I want to know if this is someone I can work with for the long term. He actually has gone on record to say that he never go, everyone knows what Y Combinator is. 
um, in the room, which is the big accelerator in the US, pretty, pretty famous accelerator. He's gone on record that he never goes to demo day and he never writes a check there because it's just, it's just a one point. Most, most deals that are you know, strong and good probably already have their investors. Um, and, and that's just not his philosophy or his approach. Um, I'm speaking more from a VC point of view, but you know, use these fundamental um, concepts when you're going out and talking to angel investors or even friends and family. It's business, right? So you want to make sure that you develop those kind of relationships with, uh, with everyone there. Um, at the meeting, you want to understand the business, the value proposition, uh, kind of the key activity. If everyone's done the Lean Canvas startup, these are all terms that you should know from there. Key activities, key partners, assets, channels, customer segments, cost structure, revenue streams. Um, is the problem worth solving? That's a really big question, particularly for a venture investor. Again, a fund, if you think of how a fund works, they invest in, say, 10 deals. Um, only two will be the big winners. Two to three will be big losers. You won't get your money back. The rest will sort of return their money. And so for a VC, you need to know that you can get a high multiple on your investment. And so you need to really understand how disruptive the opportunity is to decide if it's something you're going to pursue. Again, go to market. Can the company articulate their value proposition simply? I met with a company today and, and it was a technical founder and it was just gibberish. Um, and my team just could not fundamentally understand the value prop, the problem they were solving and why they were going to win. We're not going to proceed. Um, can the team explain how they will go to market? Do they have a good understanding of the competition? You know, none of those things were in place. Um, again, the angle, what's the secret sauce? What is the boat? What is so special about what you're doing that you're going to be able to really build a business and win versus some others? What insight does the founding team have? that the rest of the market hasn't realized. Um, what can they really leverage to win? So after the first meeting with an investor, what they do is kind of say, thank you for coming out. We'll go back to you in a couple of days, a day or two. Well, if it's not a fit, if you don't pass the screening diligence, if it's just not a fit for the fund, most investors should gladly thank you for coming in and say, um, you're not a fit for reason X, Y, Z. Um, and I try to do that pretty quickly. I don't like dragging people out. Um, I will often tell people, I really like what you're doing, go do this, this, and this, and then come back and call me. Um, and so, you know, it's either no, show me a bit more traction, go build a product, add someone to your team, um, or let me think about this, I'm going to do a bit of diligence. So, so if you kind of stay in the screening diligence stage, what happens is the investor will um, do what they call the sniff test. So, um, They'll figure out, you know, fits with my investment criteria, check. Um, and then they'll start checking some of the assertions. So, you know, is the market size um, what you said it would be? And, and we know that most, most entrepreneurs will probably overestimate the market size. So we kind of go back and figure out what it could be. Um, dig deeper into the nuances of the market. And, and so one thing, too, everything you do in this process is about building credibility with your investors. So if you go say it's a $20 billion market and it's a $100 million market, you've just lost some credibility, right? Again, we're dating. Think of it as a, a, you know, a relationship, a dating process. And as you go through that dating process, you're trying really to establish trust with the party on the other side of the, the fence. So don't, you wanna be confident in what you're doing. You want to um, be a good salesperson. That's hugely important. 
but you don't want to break trust. You don't want to overstate things. You don't want to um, make statements that you can't substantiate. Um, what I like to do, and I know that you know, we're never going to both have the same answer, but what I want to do through this process is have a dialogue to try and understand, okay, this is the way they see it, this is the way I see it, let's figure out you know, what it all means. And that's how you build a relationship with anyone, especially with an investor. How concentrated in the market? What kind of moves are the incumbents making? So I will go see you know, what, what's going on in the industry. That's something that we'll have a second conversation about to try and understand what you know, what I've seen, um, how might the startup disrupt this market. Um, then you kind of start to repeat the pitch to yourself to see if it resonates. And you go pitch it to your partners. You know, we, we, we work in a big open room and, and we're always throwing these things out um, to, to my other uh, colleagues. So, you know, I saw this startup, they're doing X, Y, Z, what do you think? Um, and I'll try to articulate what it is. And the neat thing about being um, a fund at our stage is we also see a lot of startups. And, and we'll often say we have um, startups of the month themes. One month we may see a whole bunch of HR startups and then it'll switch. And so I think earlier this year or late last year it was all food tech. Um, so you saw companies coming out trying to raise uh, funding to, to disrupt the value chain in food. Uh, and then that changed into cybersecurity month. Everything we seem to see was cybersecurity. So we do see that and we're able to kind of patch together um, what some different companies are doing. Um, and then six degrees of separation. So we really try and figure out if we can get a back channel reference on people and what they're doing. We probably did get referred to us by someone, but we'll do quick calls and reference checks um, just to see if, if the founding team is, is all that they say they are. So the next step, uh, assuming you pass the screening due diligence stage, then you get into what's called business due diligence. And that's a really deep dive. So, you know, after the screening stage, it's either go, no go. Um, if you go to the next stage, it's a much deeper dive on the business side, on the product side, and on the team side. Um, so questions that you may get at that stage, the pipeline, the product roadmap. Big one that I spend a lot of time on is the financing plan. Um, and again, the industry. So we work with a lot of people in the area that we can call and do some initial uh, diligence calls with. We're, we're looking at a payments company as an example. Gifford of mine was a country manager for PayPal. So we give him a call to say, hey, we've seen this company. This is what they're trying to do. What do you think of the technology? What do you think of the approach? Um, who do they have to get on board to do it? It's a different payment way. Will consumers adopt it? All those sort of questions that we can ask um, kind of an informal way in, in, with people in our networks. Um, the financing plan and the model that you build on Excel is also a really great way for me to see how you're going to build your business. So I spend a lot of time with people and again, it's not a right answer. I know you, the revenues will take a lot longer to come than they will. There'll be delays in launching the product. We get all that. But what we really want to understand is how you're going to build a business, how you're going to make money with this business and who you need to hire to do that. And so when you hear people say that they want uh, an Excel spreadsheet and they want projections, and you're like, oh my God, I don't know when I'm gonna be in year three, right? I'm just making it up. That's not the purpose of this. What we wanna know is, is this a business that has the potential for, for scalability, for high growth, and we wanna understand how you as the founder and the team building this are gonna build that and if you have a good sense for it. Um, again, I met with a founder the other day and he'd actually raised a fair bit of money and he just was lost on how to operationalize his business. That's something that you know, folks should have kind of figured out 
um, earlier in the process. Um, again, additional meetings. There'll be probably a fair bit of meetings. Um, this process, I always tell people though, this process can be as short as you make it. And, and if there's another message I can leave you with is be as prepared as possible as you go through the diligence process. Um, when, when an investor comes back to you with questions, get back to them as quickly as you can. Because we see a lot of deals too, and we sort of have you know, cogs as we go through it. And so if you don't answer questions, you go quiet for two, three weeks, you almost lose your space and your spot in the diligence process, right? We've kind of jumped on to another deal because we're waiting for you to give us some answers. So, so be as prepared, as thorough, and as ready as you can before you start the diligence process. And I've, um, I've put a resource of frequently asked questions um, because you go through different investors, you're going to get different questions, but you're going to get a lot of the same questions. Um, so almost make sure that you prepare um, uh, those questions with set answers. Because the other thing you don't want to do, let's say there's two founders, and you're arguing in front of an investor uh, about the answer to something. You want to be, as, and I've seen that happen a lot, um, and not in a good way. It's good to have a dialogue. It's, it's, it's not good to be completely on different pages when you're raising money. So this is also a good process for you guys to go through to make sure that you agree with your co-founder on your strategy around some fundamental things. Um, and so, you know, we're trying to understand the investment risk better. Is there a gap in the team? Uh, is there not enough money? Um, is the problem they're trying to solve, is it a hardware company and it's gonna be really hard to do and they're gonna need a lot more money than they think? These are all the things that we're trying to figure out as we develop our investment thesis. Um, if all issues check out, then a term sheet's issued. Does everyone know what a term sheet is? Most people know what that is. So in case some folks don't, a term sheet is basically a two to three page document, or two to 10, depends, um, that defines the terms upon which we will make an investment in your company. And so, um, so a term sheet is floated, and it's something that you negotiate back and forth with the investor until you sign your term sheet. So, so stage one, screening diligence. Stage two uh, is your business diligence, which hopefully leads to issuing of a term sheet. Be a bit wary of investors who put term sheets down really early in the process to try to lock you up, because there are lockup provisions in term sheets. Um, that's not necessarily um, the best approach and they may or may not be the best investor for you, but you may have been locked up at that point and you can't go out and raise more money from other folks. So, so think about that. Don't be, don't be too caught up in like, oh my goodness, I've, I've raised some money. I've got some money coming in. Um, make sure that you, you feel that you've gone through a good process with that person and they're not handcuffing you a bit too early on. And then the last stage is the legal due diligence. And, and that can be pretty painful too. Um, but make sure that you have a really good lawyer. And, and if I can make any comment is, if you are creating a company, you are starting up, you're getting to the stage that you're raising money, get a lawyer who does VC deals for a living, day in and day out. Don't try to hire your brother who just graduated from corporate finance and hasn't done a VC deal. Um, don't cheap out on it, and I'll tell you why. Most There's three to four firms in the city who are the leading firms for VC deals, and it's pretty easy to figure out who they are through the DMZ. Most of those folks will um, do the work, uh, not for free, but without charging you until the financing closes. 
and they have templated documents. Don't overcomplicate your documents either. They have pretty templated documents and they can get you up and running and incorporated and going uh, pretty quickly. So again, use a VC, use, an, uh, use a lawyer who's used to doing angel VC type funding and they'll pay for themselves a million times. What happens um, when someone tries to use a lawyer who doesn't do these deals day in and day out, you end up spending more on legals later on because the VC is not happy with the way your, your legals are set up. There's pretty standard ways. And if, if the more mistakes you make early on as well in the incorporation process, that get amplified as you go raise money. So it gets more and more expensive to fix some pretty simple mistakes that you made and made in the early stage. Um, so what we're looking for in legal diligence is uh, any big debt on the balance sheet. Most, uh, most investors won't allow new funding to go pay off previous debt. It's a pretty standard thing. Uh, you know, if you fired a co-founder, why that happened? Is there any uh, ramifications there? Um, if there are anyone who's owed shares for whatever reason, we like to have a really clean cap table. When investors invest too, they want to invest in the team that they're backing. So if a fired co-founder who's left the company still owns 50% of the company, that's actually a big problem because there's no real way that the balance of the team are aligned to really build a great company. And there's not enough equity left to go and um, hire and engage those new people around them. Um, we also want to see again how a founder negotiates. I, I look at everything a founder does in, in our negotiation as how they negotiate with other partners, with other parties, with other customers, with suppliers, with distribution people. So everything you do, I try and, I, it's a predicate for me of how you're gonna build your business and how you're gonna be with everyone else around you. So again, tips for success. Um, be prepared with a due diligence data room and uh, I couldn't find the checklist I wanted to find, but there's pretty, there's some on the web that are pretty standard and there should be one around team uh, product, market, and all of your um, legals that you already have. So before you even start fundraising, just go out on Dropbox or Box and, and set up a bunch of folders with all of that information. Don't share your due diligence data room too early on, right? Um, it is, it's sort of a sign, it's like peeling back the onion. And when an investor asks for your due diligence room, that's actually a good signal that they're actually gonna start diligence and that you're moving along in the process. So don't offer it up too early because you wanna use it kind of strategically and say, okay, I'm ready. Don't go to the first meeting and say, here's my due diligence data room. Um, or you may wanna give them a few pieces on market or that sort of thing, but don't give them the whole deep dive. But again, prepare the room and it goes back to accelerating the process. If everything's in the data room and I can just crunch through it, um, as part of my diligence process, that makes life a lot easier versus kind of having to wave, like move on to something else, I get distracted, I look at another deal, portfolio companies having an issue. I want to be able to just power through all the diligence pretty quickly. Um, again, consider due diligence your process too. So you're dating, you're trying to figure out if this is the right, uh, this right investor for you, and you want to make sure that it's a good match for the long term. Um, often fine, you know, if you've got a lot of founders, assign one founder as the point person for all the communications. And that just makes life a lot easier. I don't have to go to two, three different founders. Um, you just kind of get into a groove as you're going through that process, particularly the legal side of things. Um, and you don't want to be having to deal with a whole bunch of people. You just want to deal with the one person who has the authority to, to drive things to a conclusion. Um, answer your potential investors' questions thoroughly. 
So, you know, whatever question we have, you may think it's a silly question, you may think we're really stupid, there's a good reason we've asked that question. And so be thoughtful and give a very thorough but well-written, documented, communicated answer to that. Um, again, use feedback from other pitch meetings. So if you get feedback from one investor who potentially declines you, remember that and use that to, to refine your pitch. I have one of my favorite founders, um, Marie from Sampler. She, she's a machine about that. And so she, when she went out to raise her next round, she came and pitched us again. Um, her existing investors to really fine-tune and hone her slide deck and you know the a month later the slide deck I've seen versus her first one I think the title page is the same like she's really used it to modify her pitch to understand what people were resonating with to really get where the questions were coming from um, and what people weren't understanding to make sure that she really um, dealt with that quite well and, and refined it and now she's just killing her pitch um, and again, build trust with your investors. So it's a relationship and, and you don't want to break trust, particularly since it's a pretty long-term thing. So again, you know, I've spoken about most of these things, but how to increase your odds to be the one in 100 that gets funding. Um, always get a referral to an investor. Target the right fund for you, geography, stage, sector. Um, until the money is in the bank, you are always in due diligence. Um, you know, things have happened at the 11th hour. It's pretty rare once you're in legal diligence. Um, there's some, some fees starting to be accrued um, and so to outside service providers. So we're all pretty careful to make sure that we're pretty serious at that point. But, um, but I've seen deals that fell through in legal diligence. So, so don't assume just because you're in diligence, because the legals are going, yada, yada, yada. Don't start hiring people <laughs> that you can't afford. Line them up but don't, don't turn the tap on until the money is in the bank. Uh, again, start a list of FAQs uh, that you're hearing regularly so that you have a well thought out answer. And again, that you consistently all give that answer. Um, at the right time, hire a law firm. Here's that article, lines not dots, that I spoke about. Um, so again, you're building a long-term relationship. And if I can say anything, just be prepared. Um, and I should have probably added, it's gonna take way longer than you think. So a few tools that help, um, on the Mars website there's something called Entrepreneur's Toolkit and in there there's a whole bunch of articles and videos and, and a bunch of different things so um, I'm assuming I can give these to, to Cleo and, and she can get them to you. But one of them is a pretty, you can look up them here, um, some questions uh, that you may get asked. So here's some standard questions um, that you're going to go through. And this is the number, number of questions that you should all be prepared to answer. It's in part part of your business plan, right? You guys should know most of this, but again, it's to be pretty thoughtful. So um, this is a big one that everyone stumbles on. How would you calculate the size of your market and its growth rate? Really, really tough to get and really tough to get one similar answer. So, so spend some time thinking about that. Um, investors want to know that you're in a large market. Most investors, VC investors, won't look at um, someone unless they, they're developing a solution that addresses a billion dollar industry. Um, angels may go for smaller industries, but, but for, for VCs, that's typically the area. 
Um, what motivates you? That's back to passion, right? You should be able to answer that. Um, what makes you lose sleep? What's the life cycle of the products? Alternate suppliers? How much financing will you require beyond this round? So that's a really important question around your financing strategy and it ensures that you understand that you achieve what's called value creation milestones at each stage, right? Because what you want to do is you only want to sell a small amount of your company when you're worth the least, right? So that's why you only raise $250,000 because the price of your company is a lot less than it will be once you hit certain milestones. So you're trying to step up the value of your company so you can go raise additional financing. So really understand what those milestones are from step to step to step. Any other questions? All right. Well, thank you all. I'll hang around for a bit if anyone has any other questions.